Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode 283 of our Tick Bootcamp podcast. The title of today's interview is A Little More Balanced, an interview with Andy Sees. My name is Matt Sabatello. My name is Richard Johannesson. This interview is chock full of information that is going to help you heal from chronic Lyme disease. Andy talks to us about how it's not just chronic Lyme disease that impacted our health. She had a look at our immune system. She had a look at her gut health. She had a look at her microbe level. In addition to things besides Lyme disease, she had a look at our genetics. She had a look at mold toxicity. And she even learned about the microbe cancer connection and gave us some great information on this podcast about learning what microbes we have and how we can take steps to avoid cancer later on in life. So without further ado, Andy sees in a little more balanced. Hello, Andy sees, and welcome to the Tick Bootcamp podcast. Thank you. I'm so, so, so excited to be here. We're excited to have you as well. I mean, I want folks to know that you are one of our favorite infotainers where you are providing unbelievably powerful information about food and diet, and you're doing it in a very powerful way. I like the way you use imagery, you use music. So talk to us a little bit about your social media and how you are bringing together this really important information in a way that is entertaining, but informative at the same time. Yeah, yeah. So um, when I became ill, I kind of noticed, you know, on social media, there weren't a lot of people posting about the right way to eat for these illnesses and how food is so important with the inflammation in our body. And, you know, when we get sick, it's very hard. You know, we don't have the energy or the time to keep up with our diet. So I kind of saw a gap there within the social media. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to go in and fill that gap and provide people with these easy recipes that are ill, that are gluten-free, vegan, anti-inflammatory made with like all natural ingredients that they can go to and have as a resource in their healing journey. So they don't have to miss out on that crucial step of the process. So why don't we just, uh, and this piece of the conversation by giving folks, and because we're going to come back to it, uh, where, where can folks find the information that you're providing on, on your social media? Yeah, so um, you can find it on my Instagram page. It's called A Little More Balanced or on my website, a littlemorebalanced.com. I update it pretty much daily with different recipes, things about my life, my story, healing modalities that I'm currently doing at the moment. All the good stuff for people that are either very interested in just holistic healing and health or or those that have a chronic illness. So let's talk it back and let's talk about your story because you are giving people um, on your social media little pieces of your story, but we really have to build out the whole Andy story. So um, right now you're currently a Southeastern gal, right? You're living in Florida? I'm living in, I'm living in Fort Lauderdale. So yes. So Southern Florida, I just moved here a month ago from Minnesota. So very, very crazy change. Um, the heat, especially I'm a Midwest girl at heart. So my hair and my body, I like sweat so much going outside every day, but this is where I'm currently at in my life and it's a good experience. I'm sorry to hear that your your hair is kind of frizzy or whatever is happening with hair, but as a guy with no hair, it's hard for me to be sympathetic to the to the folks who are having bad hair days because every day for me and Matt are bad hair days. Someone will relate to this that lives in Florida. They'll be like, yes, I get it. The hair is so annoying. So talk to us about your your beginning in the Midwest. Where where did you grow up? Yeah, so I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago. I grew up in Bartlett, Illinois. Um, all of my life. And then I went to school in Michigan, to Western Michigan University. 
and then I went to college or I just said where I went to college. I started working in Minnesota. So that's where my last step was. So your uh, your entire life until a month ago were, was spent in various uh, Midwestern states, right? Yes, yes so, exactly. So your childhood in, um, in Illinois, um, what was it like? What kinds of things did you do? And what kinds of things were you working toward? Meaning, what did you see yourself doing in the future? Yeah, so my childhood was great. I grew up, um, I have an older brother. Um, I'd say growing up, I was always a very ambitious kid. I was always knew I was kind of like a salesperson at heart. I would take my parents' stuff and try to sell it back to them. I was that type of kid. There's like home videos of me, like making movies. I was a crazy rambunctious kid. I had a lot of energy and a huge spirit. So mainly my childhood was just, you know, activities, um, things like that, staying really social in our community. I always like to be around people. I was very, very social growing up. Um, Growing up, I was always um, ill in a way. I don't think I ever was 100% well. I was born with anemia. Um, I had high, or my liver can't process bilirubin. I have, um, what is that called? Jaundice is what it's called. Um, so I was never 100% well growing up. Um, I would always go to the nurse's office. My mom's like, you filled up that nurse page like more than anyone I've ever known to going to the nurse's office in elementary school. And I don't think they really thought that, you know, something could be off with her. Like maybe she has something. I think they just thought she's a kid that doesn't want to be in school. So with the school part of things, I always wasn't very interested in school. It was really hard for me to pay attention. I got diagnosed with ADHD at a young age. Um, and that was kind of my life. I was more of just like the active person that wanted to be outside doing things. Uh, I wasn't the person that could sit still for too long. So you, you couldn't, you couldn't excel in the boxes that they put you in, in the educational system. You were just you had too active a brain and too active a body and too active a person to be working within that box that they tried to put you in. Absolutely. Yeah. I knew I was never meant for um, like just a typical job. I knew I was always meant to do something more creative and that where I could really shine and show my true self from a young age. I always loved to do things like that. I was always into cooking at a young age. So I would sell my baked goods and I knew I, you know, I needed to be moving, using my hands for things for a career. So you knew from a very early age, you had an aptitude for food and food presentation. And you, I guess you understood the importance of food. So that was your aptitude at a very early age. And you always made a connection between uh, preparing food and selling that to other people. So you had, you had this sort of sales element that was building up uh, as a young child as well. Yes, yes, exactly. So talk to us um, what you did learn when you were in that box in, uh, you know, the Chicago school system, um, where you, uh, I should say the Illinois school system, um, were they teaching anything about um, ticks and tick diseases at that time? Nothing. I had actually never heard of Lyme disease or I did not know what a tick looked like growing up. It would never cross my mind. Um, even in college, I met one person that had Lyme disease. And at the time we're all like, oh my gosh, like, what, what is that? Is she okay? Like, it was kind of like this mysterious element that no one really knew about. So now when you're going off to college, um, you were, uh, you were actually in a tick endemic community, right? We know Michigan has a huge problem. Yes, and, I was. <laughs> uh, and, and I'm wondering um, uh, whether Andy, you were, uh, you were 
concerned about any of the dangers that were a part of the college experience that you didn't have in high school, right? So when you were in, when you were a child and you're living at home with your parents in Chicago in the, you know, the safe Midwestern environment that you're in, um, despite the boxes they tried to, they tried to put you in, um, you know, you were safe and you were taken care of by, by other people, right? And one of the things that I, I can tell you, I, I certainly emphasize with my daughters when they went off to college was that it was a different experience, right? And there were some dangers that perhaps, um, you know, you needed to be aware of when you went to college, whatever that happens to be, right? I mean, they're, they're you know, you have to make sure you're not drinking out of other people's drinks. So you're not uh, finding yourself in a bad position with rate, uh, you know, um, date rape drugs. You have to make sure that you're, uh, you're not alone with certain types of people. You have to make sure that, you know, you are aware of your environment because you don't have someone there to protect you, right? So were you, were you given those kinds of warnings were you, and were you given preparation to go off and, and gain some independence in, the, in your college experience? Yes, I, I was. My dad, you know, sent me off with enough pepper spray to take down probably half of my college. Um, <laughs> I, I was the type of person that didn't necessarily want to go. I was a huge homebody. I love being with my parents and I love that comfort of home. Um, there's just something about it. I'm just definitely a homebody. So when I went to college, it was kind of them pushing me. And I was a little bit nervous about these, you know, new things that could happen because I grew up in this, you know, bubble of the Chicago suburbs, but I happened to make a great group of friends in college. And I felt definitely very secure my entire time there. And it, it was a really good experience. Now, anytime we move to a new environment, a new city, a new place, right? Yeah. There are certain parts of the community you probably don't want to find yourself in. Oh, yeah. And um, <laughs> so were, were you made aware of, for example, the different parts of the community where your college was physically located, where perhaps you should not want to find yourself because it might not be as safe as other parts of the city? Yes, 100% from the moment I went there, my roommate, her sister was actually, um, she was in the college at the time, I think she was a senior when we started. And I went to school in Kalamazoo, Michigan. So there is bad parts around there. And so she made us aware, there were certain instances in college where people would show up to fraternity parties and hurt other people and, and scary things like that. But we always made sure to, you know, take the precautions necessary and take it seriously, no matter what the circumstance was, because at the end of the day, our safety was the most important. So now you're going off to college, and you have all kinds of people, your parents making sure that you're aware of some of the dangers that, you know, were not a part of your high school experience and your friends that you were going to school with and their older siblings were giving you warnings. And of course, the school was, uh, I'm sure, giving you additional training about, you know, alcohol use and, yeah. you know, and all kinds of, you know, interaction with, you know, with fellow students and what would or wouldn't be appropriate. Did the college give you any information about ticks and tick diseases and the dangers associated with going to school in Michigan and coming in contact with ticks? Unfortunately, zero at the time. I did not think of it, but you know, after being an individual with Lyme disease, I'm like, we're in, you know, Tick Central right here. A lot of wood areas around us where we take our dogs out. This should be a thing that's talked about, but there was no information given to us. All right. So, so you go to college and what is your, what is your vision? I mean, how are you now developing these skills that you've identified as a child where you have, you, you have these salesperson skills, you have these uh, cooking and food preparation skills. You have these 
you know, you're combining that to, and, and we've learned that you, you know, you are right now uh, an, an infotainer who is providing this information, right? So we've seen, we're seeing how that's manifesting now, but how is that developing when you're in college and what kinds of courses were you taking? Yeah. So um, I decided to join the sales and marketing program at my school. It was just kind of a way to, you know, growing up, we were told you should get a business degree. It's a stable degree. There you go. If it was my choice and my dreams, I would have went to school to become a dietitian or something along those lines. Well, I'm glad it turned out the way it did. Um, I went to school mainly for marketing. So I was taking courses on social media marketing you know, outside marketing, everything there is to do about it. So it did keep me very engaged. And then um, I was also involved in a sorority there in the business fraternity. So I had like activities there to keep, you know, my brain stimulated other than just my classwork. So let's talk, take a minute to pause here and talk about uh, the nobility of sales. Uh, and the reason I want to talk to you about that is because when, when I was young, uh, we were always sort of taught to look down on sales, right? That salespeople were really <laughs> just trying to get us to buy things we didn't need. And we were, you know, a part of this consumer-centric society. And we were, you know, we were, were, were you know, we're being corrupted by salespeople. And I have to tell you that, you know, at this stage in my life, and, and certainly since I started working with the boot camp, I've actually come to believe that sales is the most noble profession. And I believe that it's the most noble profession because the only way that we can get people shortcuts and help them to end their suffering and pain is by having sales skills. So tell me about, you know, the sort of, you know, the two sides of, of sales, because, you know, one of the things that, you know, I always laughed about as a lawyer is no one likes lawyers, but the only people that like less than lawyers are used car salespeople. So there is somebody who <laughs> like less than us. And, you know, I, I really, uh, I really took pride in not being at the bottom of the pile. You salespeople are generally at the bottom, but I actually uh, not only believe that my profession is noble, but I quite frankly believe your, your profession is the most noble. So talk to me about that. Thank you. No. And I think lawyers are awesome. So I don't know what they're talking about, but there definitely is two sides to sales. And I learned that very quickly in college. My dad was in sales growing up. Um, so I kind of saw, you know, you could either be the salesperson that's going in there and you're not being the most honest, you're in it for yourself, or you could be the salesperson that you're doing it to really form that relationship and be able to have you know, a fun job where you're building connections with people and depending on what you're selling, getting them deals on things that maybe they wouldn't necessarily be able to have if, if you weren't there. Um, our class, our courses at my school, I was very lucky. We had great professors that taught us how to build those relationships that would keep us, you know, on the top and very, very noble with it, I guess you could say going forward. So there is two types of sales, but I chose to go the good route. I'm not in sales currently. I was when I um, graduated college, but I definitely think that it is a career path for those that want to build those relationships and wouldn't necessarily do that well at a desk job. Like well, I know but, I wouldn't. But the bigger picture is, you know, if, if you are finding things that people need and you're mm -hmm. putting them, them together in a way that will, will benefit the people that you're offering them to, and you're giving them shortcuts, that's the nobility of sales, right? Literally. That's the very heart of sales. And my argument is that we're all in sales. Every one yeah. of us is in sales. And totally just, agree. And just because you're not selling a particular product at this time doesn't mean that you're not in sales, Andy. And quite frankly, I think you are in sales in a very beautiful way. And again, we'll talk more about that as we get yeah. uh, later into the podcast. So 
All right. So now you're so you're you're now in college and you're going through this this experience where you're now developing these gifts and talents that you've identified very early on in your life. And talk to us about um, how your health is doing, because you said you were kind of a sickly kid. So it seems like you were always immunocompromised and you always had to manage that during the course of your life. How did that begin to change um, when uh, when you got into your early 20s? Yeah, so. Um, I wouldn't say I did things the healthiest way. I struggled with an eating disorder growing up that kind of followed me into college in devious ways. And I was really into bodybuilding and macro counting and all of that, which, you know, for someone that has immune system issues, it's not really the best choice for them and all, and, you know, it's the right, not the right way to do something if you need so, to be so let, Let's pause on that, Andy. So first of all, you, you use the word bodybuilding, which of course we'll talk about in a second. But what was the second term you used? Macro counting. What so is it, macro counting? It's uh, portioning out your carbs, your fats, and your proteins to a certain amount um, for your body. And then you slowly lower your carbs and you lower your fat. And for me, it was kind of just another way to throw me back into an eating disorder by giving me control of my food in this, in this way. It was kind of just like a control mechanism. Okay. So, um, and again, this is going to foreshadow some of the later part of your story, but I do want to, I do want to focus on this a little bit now, right? So we understand from our past podcasts that movement is vital to healing. Yes. But we also understand that if we do not exercise properly, meaning you can get too much of something that's a good thing if you are, if you are, um, you know, it's almost like the, you know, the, the, the inverse you where you're getting some benefit, getting some benefit, it sort of levels off and now we're starting to crash, right? So it sounds to me that you were, you were using exercise in a way that was further immunocompromising because you were an extremist with the type of uh, exercise you were doing. So talk to us about whether or not my observation is correct and, and whether or not uh, you believe that was a part of your crash. Yeah, as much as I hate to admit it, you are 100% correct. I'm a total type A personality. And when I do something, I do it like 100%, nothing stops me. And in college, I thought, you know, this is what other people are doing. And they're doing this. Why can't I get up at 4.30am and go to the gym for two hours every single day. And then at night, I just wouldn't be able to function. I, I couldn't study, I couldn't do anything. I struggled with really bad eczema in college and bad acne. And I just kind of noticed as I was working out and eating in this way that it, it wasn't making me feel good. It was making me feel worse. But at that time, I was at the point in my life where I didn't really understand how to fix it. And I thought, you know, this is normal. This is what other people are doing. So I guess the way I'm feeling is, is just a normal feeling. Right, so I'm, another one of the things that we, we always talk about on this podcast is your skin being your largest organ and, of course, oh, yeah. your most important detox organ. And your detox organ was telling you, hey, Andy, you're doing some bad stuff here. You know, you, you have all kinds of stuff coming out of your skin with, the, you know, with, with, with both eczema and with, uh, with acne. And you were ignoring the signals that your detox organ was given to you. A hundred percent. I, I, you know, was born with not the best liver function and kind of doctors never really paid too close attention to it growing up. And so I didn't either. If my doctor wasn't concerned growing up, I was like, okay, I'm not going to be concerned about it either. And, you know, I was very sick all the time as a kid to, as a young adult, until I started healing, I had strep once a month, the flu, I was 
always sick, always on antibiotics, which sure, you know, can just lead to chaos in your body. So yeah, I had all of these warning signs and I just, I didn't really know where to go with them. Let's focus on diet now, right? So yeah. you're a, as a child, you had an aptitude for, uh, for food and cooking. Uh, you knew the importance of it, but you're now at a stage in your life where, um, where food is not something that is a gift or a blessing. It now becomes a part of some issues that you're trying to control. Yeah. And of course, that is now another element of, 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 um, of I guess, unhealth. Um, you know, so talk to us about what was going on there and how that was impacting you negatively. Yes. So I was never an unhealthy eater. I always took health seriously. Um, I, you know, would eat from macros, like I said, so a lot of carbs, protein, fat, I didn't, wasn't educated on blood sugar, insulin resistance, anything like that, which come to find out I had, um, I would just eat the basic, like healthy diet, like that people think is healthy, especially in the fitness world, like rice cakes, a bunch of meat, rice, you know, all of the, all of those types of things, because I thought that was what was okay for my body. I had extreme stomach issues all throughout this whole journey. Um, come to find out I had celiac disease and I didn't know about it, but, um, there was always warning signs. And I'm sure people listening to this experience the same things, like looking back on their life. They're like, how did we not see the warning signs? And I almost want to say, it's not like we didn't see them. It's just at a point of our, a point in our life, we don't want to believe they're there. We don't want to believe there's something off about us and there's something not normal. So that's what I always try to tell people is listen to those warning signs. If food isn't making you feel well, figure it out now, or it will come back to haunt you later. Right. But, but any part of what was going on with your food is again, we'll, we'll use this, use the metaphor of the, uh, of the inverse you where food is something you know is important. Food is something that you understood was important. You had, you know, a sort of the, you know, the benefits of eating, right. Then they, you sort of, a, it, it balanced off. And now you start to, you know, become an extremist with the way you're eating. And although you're eating good food, although you're eating the right food, the way you're eating is unfortunately causing you to be unhealthy. Yes. Yeah. It was not right for my body. It was not causing me to be healthy at all. It was almost like a chore. Food was never really enjoyable to me during this time. Like I didn't take time to make things that would, you know, taste good to me. I kind of thought, you know, if something tastes good to you, you probably don't want to be eating it because it's bad for you. And it's just not the case. So I did become kind of an extremist with what I was eating because what I was seeing on social media was all these fitness influencers and creators are doing that. So, you know, if it's working for them, it'll work for me, which is something that I try to do on my Instagram is you know, I can eat these foods and, and I feel great. And I don't want people to ever feel like they can't eat these things that taste good, are good for your body and are fun to make. So Andy, my favorite movie in the world is Jaws. Um, <laughs> it, it was a movie that came out when I was in 10th grade. And to this day, it's my favorite movie. And one of the things that I like about Jaws is you can see when, when Jaws is about to eat someone right and I and I'm hearing the doom 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 in the oh, back yeah. of my mind as you're telling this story because we have this sort of crescendo of of events coming together where we have this immunocompromised young woman who's now away at school and she is uh you know she's working out in a way that's not particularly healthy and she's eating in a way that's not particularly healthy and all these things are happening and then 
you got bitten by a tick. So talk yeah. to us about that. Yeah. So, um, I, my school went online in February due to COVID. So I moved back home and I was still in this whole lifestyle. I had accepted a job where I was moving to Minnesota for when I graduated. So I was kind of like, okay, time to figure out what I want to do. I want to, you know, figure everything out before I go. So I move home and my neighborhood starts doing a lot of activities, social distancing, yoga, bonfires, et cetera. So it was all fun and games. And then one day I wake up and there is a tick in the back of my leg. So um, what'd you do when you found this tick biting you on the back of your leg? Yeah. So I freaked out at first. I don't like bugs. I'm not a bug person. So I didn't know what it was. And so I'm trying to get it off of me. And then um, I get it off of me and I couldn't find it. And I didn't know what it was. So I kind of go back about my morning with hanging out with my mom and then something in my head, which I like to say it was God being like, no, 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 turn around was like, get that bug, like find it, go and find it. And I'm like, what is this? And my mom and I didn't necessarily know exactly what it is. Um, So we call my grandpa in Georgia and we're like, is this a tick? And he's like, yes, that's a tick. So from there, much like you, like you said, you bought all of the books. I'm an extreme researcher. If something happens, I'm the type of person that wants to fix it. I don't like to sit around and waddle in it. And so automatically I'm on Google. What do I do if I find a tick on me? And they're like, send it in, call your doctor. So we're calling my primary care doctor. What do I do? Should I send this tick in? You know, we've trusted him with everything in the past. And he's like, Lyme disease is not common with here. here. Just throw the tick away go about your day. If you get sick in a couple of days, come in, you'll get a bullseye rash, whatever. So part of me, you know, I'm a very intuitive person. So part of me was like wanting to believe him and like, okay, great. I'm fine. And the other part of me was like, no, like something's off here. You really need to, you know, keep an one eye open. So unfortunately we did end up not sending the tick in because we didn't know better at the time. This was our first experience with a tick and I kind of went about my day from there. And then I started getting symptoms about a week later. Now, did you keep the tick or did you follow the doctor's advice and throw the tick out? We kept it for a day. And I feel like my mom and I are both eyeing each other. Like, should we send it in? Should we do it? And we're like, you know what? No, he said, it's not common. Like there's no point in sending it in. So we ended up throwing it away. Unfortunately, I know, I know looking back, I'm like, mom, why did we, we could have went through a whole lot of trouble, but you know, everything happens for a reason. So talk to us about what your gut was telling you at that moment, right? Because you said you're an intuitive person and, and we see you having, you know, these signals coming to you about exercise, about diet, but you're kind of ignoring them. You're allowing people on social media to cause you to ignore your, um, you know, your intuition about diet. You're allowing social media folks to influence you and, and, and ignore your body signals, your intuition about exercise. Now you have, tell us about what your intuition was telling you uh, about this tick and this tick bite and what impact your incompetent doctor's advice had on uh, you following your intuition. Yeah. So it was, it was kind of crazy from there on out. It was kind of like you know, there's two people in my body, like the the angel and the devil on each of my shoulders. And from there, I remember that night after doing some research on Lyme disease and getting a tick bite and how, you know, devastating it can be on someone's life and on their body. I kind of said to myself, you know, 
if this happens, one or two things is going to happen. You either make this be the biggest blessing of your life and you, you figure it out and you get through it, or you can fall into this and it'll, you know, take over your life and you need to like be your own advocate in this case going forward. So from there on out, it's almost like I kind of knew what was going to happen. And I was just waiting for it to happen, which I was at the doctor's office like two days later. Cause I'm like, okay, I know something's going to happen. Like I'm trying to avoid this. I'm starting to get symptoms, you know? So what were your early symptoms uh, after the bite? What, what, what were you feeling? Yeah. So um, extreme confusion right off the bat, um, very bad brain fog. The symptom that I'd say came first that was very out of the ordinary for me was I would walk and it would almost feel like there was violin strings or guitar strings in my legs. And one of them was being pulled every time I walked. It felt like I could feel a nerve being pulled. So that became very uncomfortable, very fast. My knee started to swell up and I was very into, you know, fitness, working out. I started to not be able to even lift a can of soup. I had bad tremor. I was losing weight at this time. My hair started falling out. It was kind of just like this whole storm happened to my body and I knew what was going on. Um, so those were, I'd say, my my first symptoms within the first week of being bit. So what was your doctor's um, reaction to all of these, you know, quick, you know, these these classic quickly developing Lyme disease symptoms? Yeah. So went to the doctor, expressed my concern. They were like, it is not Lyme disease. Um, I did get diagnosed with Graves thyroid disease at the same time, which come to find out, you know, very common to get an autoimmune disease at the same time. And so my doctor was just like, this isn't Lyme disease. This is all Graves disease symptoms you're getting. You know, I was starting to say I'm getting bad anxiety. I'd never struggled with anxiety in the past, like very, very bad anxiety to where it was hard to function throughout the day. And he's like, that's normal. You know, it's a weird time in the world. And I'm like, no, it's not that I promise you. I, I know my body. And so his first reaction and what he was telling me was, this is all your thyroid, but you know, being the intuitive research heavy person I am, I knew it was Lyme disease. So he refused to test me for Lyme disease. Cause he was like, you don't have it. I'm not testing you for it. So from there on out, I probably went to three different doctors within the first month in the Chicago area who all refused to test me for Lyme disease. Um, finally found one, my second month of symptoms, which I'm sure we'll get into this, that tested me for the Western blot, came back negative. Month three, finally got tested for the actual Lyme disease bacteria, which came back positive. One second before Matt takes you through the uh, diagnostic journey, I want to talk to you about um, now the larger picture of things, right? So we have an immunocompromised young person with a number of different issues. You're, um, you're, you're seeing signs of, of challenges with your, you know, your detox organ. Uh, yeah. You're exercising in a way that's not healthy. You're eating in a way that's not healthy. Um, and now we have a pandemic. Right. And the entire world is is, you know, is feeling the stress. You're forced to come home from school and, you know, and, and, and not complete uh, your educational experience because of what COVID is doing to, unfortunately, to all you young people. What impact did the sort of the global stress have on you at that point? And how are you reacting to that? 
Yeah, um, it, it was very stressful. I was moving the next month to Minnesota. So that was a stressful situation on my own to start a first, you know, real job out of college. So there was definitely some stress from that. And just the fact, you know, what was going on in the world, the just devastating part of it, just seeing what's happening on TV. It was, it was super hard. I'm very emotional for people and um, I kind of like feel other people's pain at times. So that, that was really hard. And then on top of, you know, these symptoms I was getting, I wasn't hundred percent sure what's going on with my body at the moment. Andy, it's really short, the time period from the tick bite to your symptom development. I mean, it was literally a week later, you were losing your hair, you had knee pain, you had severe debilitating brain fog, and you couldn't even lift a can of soup. I mean, that's a really quick onset of symptomology after being bit by a tick. So, I mean, I know we'll never know the answer, but thinking back about your life, what do you think is the reason why it kicked on so quickly? Do you think you were bitten previously in life and that this was, this was an accumulation of tick-borne infections, and this was the final straw that broke the camel's back, metaphorically speaking. Do you think that you had some genetic predispositions that made you more susceptible to getting as sick as you did, as quickly as you did? You know, what do you think? Because that's, that's kind of unique to get that sick that quickly. Yes, I think it's definitely a combination of it all. I definitely think I had some genetic predispositions, just, you know, going back to school to become a holistic health practitioner. I learned a lot about, you know, how our genetics can you know, help our immune system as we grow up. And I always had a super weak one. So I always knew something was off with me, but from what I know now, I do believe that is what happened to me as a child and why, you know, I was always sick and I wasn't hundred percent well, and I never actually felt well until after I started healing from this Lyme disease journey. It was crazy. It was like the first time in my life where I actually felt normal. I felt like my body was functioning for me and not against me. So I think it was kind of a combination of a lot. I do think that I had that um, immunocompromised part of me that made it super easy. When I got sick, I always got extremely sick. It was never like sniffles, you're done. It was like 105 fever, you're out for a week. That's my body just always kind of gave me these early warning signals that I wasn't educated enough on in the like holistic health to know what it meant. Andy, talk to us about Graves' disease and your autoimmune diagnosis. Do you think this was a misdiagnosis or do you think that this was a diagnosis that complemented your Lyme diagnosis? Definitely a diagnosis that complemented my Lyme diagnosis. Um, I knew that from the very start when I got diagnosed with it. They were like, you need to take this, this medication, you know, all these side effects. Here you go. I never touched the medication because I always knew, you know, this is a trigger because of something else in my body. That's what autoimmune is. You know, it triggers when something else in your body is functioning, not correctly. So you have to find the root of it and then things will go back to normal. And I'm sure we'll talk about, I did find the root of my thyroid. And so it was definitely a trigger to answer your question. So I think it's interesting because so many of us have these genetic predispositions and you know, especially with autoimmune disease. And I've shared this with our listeners that in my family, my, my mother, my grandmother, and my sister all have autoimmune complications. And with certain supplements and lifestyle changes, they've been able to make significant progress in overcoming them. So I think for me, it was Lyme disease that brought on or, or activated the autoimmune predisposition that I had in my body. So do you think it's the same in your situation where you had a genetic predisposition to autoimmune disease, you got a tick bite, and because they sort of have a lot of complementary symptoms that they sort of activated each other and they just sort of dogpile together to make you even sicker. 
hundred percent. Yeah. Thyroid disease runs in my um, extended family. So we always knew that was kind of, um, on the radar. So yeah, I a hundred percent agree with that and think that that's accurate. Andy, talk to us about the overlapping symptoms, right? Because obviously adrenal fatigue, obviously thyroid issues and hormone issues are common with many chronic Lyme patients, some of whom don't have autoimmune issues, right? But I know many of us have those overlapping symptoms with autoimmune issues that are going on and Lyme disease. So, you know, how do, how do you really know what's causing what, if that makes sense, right? Is it, yeah. is it the Graves disease? Is it Lyme disease? What do I, what do I need to do to really get to the root cause and where does one come into play and the other one really go away? Right. Yeah, no, I a hundred percent get what you're saying. And you know, it's really hard. It's really hard when you have all these symptoms going on to say, what is causing this? So at this time, since I had so many symptoms and just the Graves disease diagnosis within these first couple months, and I knew there was Lyme, but I wasn't, you know, diagnosed yet. I kind of just grouped them together. And I was, and I just kind of thought of them as one because I knew in the back of my head, if I figure out, you know, the root cause of this Graves disease, I think my Lyme disease will also lessen at the same time. So that's kind of how I thought about it and, um, went about it from there. So you knew you had Lyme disease, you couldn't get a doctor to test you, but you knew by addressing the autoimmune disease, it would lessen the impact of Lyme disease. Correct. Is that what you said? Yeah. Okay. So I think it's really powerful because Lyme disease is a combination of many things, one of which in your, in your bio-individual specialized case was autoimmunity. And by addressing that, you were lessening the effect of Lyme, right? Yeah. So how did you eventually get a doctor to test you for Lyme? And why do you, it's just so frustrating that you were bit by a tick, you brought up Lyme disease, you had symptoms, granted you had a Graves diagnosis, but they wouldn't even test you for Lyme disease. I mean, why do you think that is when you exhibited the classic symptoms of Lyme and it's so prevalent throughout the world? Yeah, you know, Come to find out, I kind of quit with doctors after this, and I took it on my end of my own hands and with you know natural doctors after this. But um, I don't think they don't mean to not test us and pay attention. I just think they're not taught it in medical school, and a lot of them, um, you know, what they're taught twenty years ago, they still use to this day. And you know, if I could go back and change it. I think that there should be constant education on these new developing epidemics. I believe Lyme disease is an epidemic in this country and to really know like what's going on there because patients should never have to tell their doctor, please research this, like look into this. This is real. I'm sure you've heard a million times chronic Lyme doesn't exist. Like hearing that it's just like a dagger to the heart. It's like, you don't have these symptoms. I do. How could you tell me that this isn't happening? You know? We recently interviewed UFC legend Jim Miller, and one of the things that he said that was so powerful that actually just recently cut as a soundbite is he made a statement saying it's never just Lyme disease, right? Yeah. Which I think is so powerful because we focus on this podcast so much about Lyme, 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 but here we are talking about how Graves' disease amplified your symptomology and health because of Lyme disease, right? So they kind of work yeah. together. And what he meant by that is it's viruses, it's other protozoa, it's bacteria, it's you name it, right? Then it's diet, it's lifestyle, it's sleep. All these things together are what contributed to Jim Miller's decline. And I think for you as well, you're saying it's so much more than just Lyme. We're using the term chronic Lyme as a catch-all for everything going on in our bodies, right? Is that what, is that what you're kind of telling us here? Yes, a hundred percent. And you know, your situation, like, I love how he says it's never just Lyme because it isn't. When I moved to Minnesota, my health declined like 
crazy. I couldn't, I could not function. I couldn't think come to find out was living in mold at that time. And that's why it got so bad. And, you know, mold's a huge trigger for Lyme disease, which I'm sure, you know, they kind of go hand in hand at times. So yeah, I a hundred percent agree. So we're definitely going to get into the mold. I just want to walk through your diagnosis still. So finally you went to a doctor who tested you for Lyme disease. And I just want to ask, how did you finally convince the doctor to test you? Lots of tears, lots of begging. My leg was so swollen. They're like, well, we'll take a scan of it. I'm like, no, we don't need a scan. Just please test me for the Lyme disease bacteria. And she was just like, okay, fine. I will. No one else is doing this. I'll test you. And then it was a waiting game from there, you know, refreshing my page. Is this true? And come to find out it was an active infection of it. So it was very much a relief to see that on paper, even though I already knew it happened. It was just kind of like in the back of my mind, I was like, I really hope that first doctor looks at this and doesn't make the same mistake on another patient that he made with me. And I made sure to tell him that as well. Very nicely. I was just like, I had this the entire time and things could have turned out differently for me if you would have listened from the beginning. So please with your next patient, don't make the same mistake. Learn from this. Andy, this reminds me of the movie, The Monster Inside Me. We interviewed Tony and Francis Silva, the producers and the, and the act, you know, the, the stars in the movie, and it's a Lyme documentary. Yeah. And they, they interview a doctor who had, um, who talks about a young child who had autism. And this young child, the autism started to develop these anger and emotional issues that they just said, oh, it must be tied to autism, right? Your child is autistic. He's developing these anger issues and must be, it must be part of the autism, right? Sort of like you, you have grave disease, you have all of these things going on, it's all associated to grave disease, but that was just one piece of the puzzle. And in the monster inside me, they found out they tested this young child for Lyme disease. And it turns out he was having Lyme rage. And when they started to treat the Lyme disease, a lot of those rage issues started to subside. And then he was only left with the, you know, these, these other issues that were, were getting bundled together when they really weren't connected, right? Because it's a catch-all for everything. And I think that's the mistake that we make so many times in this world with our, with our medical community is, hey, Andy, you have Graves' disease, so it must just be that. Or, hey, your child is autistic and he has some anger issues, it must just be the autism. But there's other contributing factors that will amplify things that can be identified with that disease as well, right? So you got your Lyme disease diagnosis, you go back to your doctor and say, hey, look, it wasn't just Graves, it was Graves and Lyme. How did he respond to that? Because doctors generally don't like being corrected or told things like that. So how did, how did that interaction go? You know, um, I think he heard me, but I don't think it, it was, you know, the highlight of his day. He was just kind of like, oh, okay, like, did you get antibiotics for it? And I'm like, mm, I think we're a little past the antibiotic stage, but, but I, you know, at least I knew that you know, hopefully I could change at least one person's outcome. Cause if I got bit by a tick there, Lord knows there's more, you know, ticks with Lyme disease in the same area. And now you were 21 when you first got sick and you're yeah. 22 when you got diagnosed, but it's still, it's still only a few months between yeah. the, the, the bite and the diagnosis, correct? Correct. Okay. So now you finally get diagnosed and I think it's like a regular primary care physician, right? Who diagnosed you? Yeah. And it was a Western blot. So it was a regular, just plain Jane Western blot where you tested positive, right? It was the, um, I tested negative on the Western blot. It was the B. burgdorferi, the actual bacteria of the Lyme disease is where I tested positive. I kept going negative on the Western blot, unfortunately. Oh, so you did a PCR looking for the actual DNA of the, yes. of the bacteria, a PCR yep. test. Okay. So you get diagnosed 
And it sounds like you went on in a, well, I shouldn't make assumptions here, but generally primary care physicians make, you have Lyme disease, go on doxycycline for 21 days and you're going to be cured. But I'm hoping yeah. your doctor was a little bit more educated in that. So what was your doctor's course of treatment once you got this diagnosis? So they weren't at that point. So I did, you know, I did take the antibiotics at first because I was just feeling so ill and, you know, I didn't have the time I was moving the next week. I didn't have the time to find the natural doctor that I know I wanted to go that route. So I was like, I'm going to start the antibiotics. I went on antibiotics for two months actually. And it did when I was at home, it made a huge difference. I, I felt different right away. There was always, you know, something lingering, but I kind of had those like Herxheimer reactions at first. And then after the 21 days, I felt a little bit better. So I went on another course of, I think it was 12 days and I started to feel slightly better. I knew this was going to be a long journey, but then as soon as I moved to Minnesota, it all just went, went crazy. Do you think because of the stress of the move, the, you know, the physical stress, the emotional stress, et cetera, while being so compromised in your body that, that forced your body to really go backwards and the antibiotics weren't enough to really reduce the pathogen load in your body. And that's why you got so sick. A hundred percent. Yeah. I knew that I knew from the start, the antibiotics weren't the answer. I just felt like I, I needed something. I was starting this new job. I needed something at this moment to help me a little bit. And I do feel like the stress, you know, the stress impact can have the stress, the impact that stress can have on your body can just cause a wide array of just different things and can honestly make immunocompromised person even more immunocompromised in the moment. So I just felt like I was the perfect storm for, you know, chemical exposure and toxin exposure to get into my body and take this journey for a long term. Let's talk about the role stress plays with chronic Lyme disease, because I know if you said this to me three years ago, Andy, I would have been so triggered and said, it's not stress. It's not psychological. I have a real physical illness because I was gaslit by so many doctors and I knew there was something physically wrong. But what I think I was being so thick and stubborn to was the fact that stress is a contributing factor to make your physical condition worse. Yes, you have a persistent bacterial infection. Yes, you probably have many other pathogens in your body that are running amok and making you sick. But when you have life stressors, they allow those pathogens to flourish and make you even more sick. And that's the part that I was failing to understand several years ago. I think it's important for our listeners to understand. So, you know, when, when my, when I crashed, it was after three years of being sick and my childhood dog passed away after 15, you know, having her for 15 years and that emotional trigger within a few weeks made me so much worse than I was. And that was the beginning of the worst period of my illness, right? So talk to us about the role stress played in your life and how you believe stress contributed to your illness, not caused it, but contributed to your illness. Yeah. First, I'm so sorry to hear about your dog. That is just a crazy situation. I'm very sorry. Thank you. And um, second, yeah, just the stress has always been a trigger for me. I'd say whenever I got super stressed out growing up, you could tell with my body, I would start getting sick. I would get strep. My body would just kind of decline from there. So I always knew it was a trigger, but like I've said before, I was an extreme type A personality. I kind of fed off that stress growing up. I liked those intense situations. That's where I thrived, which, you know, come find out now that is not the way my body should be, but that was just kind of my personality growing up. Like I, I liked those uncomfortable situations. They made me grow and they made me better. 
but um, yeah, stress. Well, chronic Lyme disease is enough stress on your body just from having that infection, putting on the stress of, you know, my doctors aren't listening to me. I have all these things going on and I have this disease and I don't know how to handle them all at one point. Like that whole stress just, I feel like it makes the chronic Lyme disease it gives them the perfect, you know, environment in your body to thrive. They're like, yes, bring the stress, let's spread in your body. You know, it's so true. The way Dr. Rolls described it is every single person on this planet has intracellular microbes. And what he means by that is you can have something like if you've ever had mono, you have Epstein-Barr virus yeah. inside your cells for the rest of your life. If you've ever had chickenpox, you have that virus inside your cells for the rest of your life. If you've ever had something called uh, uh, chlamydia pneumonia, which is not a sexually transmitted disease, it's just a, a you know respiratory infection, that infection will stay with you the rest of your life. But your immune system and your body will manage it, keep it inside your cell and not allow it to do harm to your body, right? But when your body is stressed and your immune system is weakened, those intracellular opportunistic microbes come out and they will then replicate and cause severe harm to your body. And when you get Lyme disease, it weakens your immune system and allows these other intracellular microbes to come out and dogpile with Lyme disease to make you extremely unwell. And when you have this emotional stress on top of physical stress, it makes that situation even worse. And I think that's what you just so brilliantly described for us, Andy. So thank you for that. I think it's a really important component to share. So let's talk more about Minnesota. You moved to Minnesota, antibiotics are helping a little bit. And then not so much because of stress and everything going on and you're working, it's a new job, et cetera. Talk to us about the crash, the increase and further development of symptomology and what you do next. Yeah. So when I moved there, I was feeling a little bit better. I had started a little bit of a holistic treatment that was working just to help boost my immune system from the start. And so I moved there and about a week in to living in my apartment there, I started to get all these new symptoms like the brain fog was almost like I was watching myself live a life that I wasn't able to fully comprehend. And my whole body ached. I was itchy everywhere. My ears, my nose, my eyes were watering. It was all of these crazy symptoms that kind of then turned to psychological symptoms. Like I started having panic attacks and breakdowns and I didn't really know what was going on. It was I was getting these Lyme disease symptoms again, where it was hard to work out. It was hard to function. I was getting all this joint pain on top of these new symptoms. And I got diagnosed with Epstein-Barr virus at the same time. So I wasn't sure if it was that. So I went through about three months of these symptoms, trying to work this new job. It was kind of like I had two personalities at this point, you know, I'd go home and be able to live this pain and just be like, what the heck is going on to me? And then I go to work and I'd have to, you know, hide all of these feelings that I'm, I'm secretly feeling. And, uh, yeah, I went through this for about six months and not knowing what's going on. I was working with multiple holistic doctors who none of them really tested me for anything other than my gut and my hormones, which are both obviously extremely out of normal ranges. Um, but come to find out I was living in mold. So I had mycotoxin exposure. Before we get to the mold, I just want to have a few follow-up questions on some yeah. of the things you talked about. So obviously Epstein-Barr virus is what is left in your body after mono. And that's one of those opportunistic viruses I talked about earlier. Yeah. And I think many people listen to this podcast and we had somebody reach out just this past week and say, I have extremely high levels of EBV or Epstein-Barr virus. That's mm-hmm. the root cause of my illness. And 
I don't believe that's the case because if we're healthy enough, our body can manage that. I mean, what are your thoughts on EBV being, you know, root cause or a contributing factor to chronic illness? I think it's just one of the things that come out to play once you're already immunocompromised and your body is already at a weakened state. What do you think about that, Andy? I absolutely agree. I think EBV is just another, um, another, you know, stop on the roadmap to the root cause. It's usually there from, you know, people I've worked with and people on social media. We all have Epstein-Barr when we have Lyme or mold illness or anything like that. It's it just, it kind of just wants to join the party and come out and cause a little more pain than everything else too. Andy, I love what you just said. In fact, I wrote it down that EBV and a lot of these other things are just stops on the roadmap to your root cause. That's a really powerful statement. So thank you yeah. for that because we're going to be sharing that. And we will credit you though. So thank you. Yeah, <laughs> of course. Uh, talk to us about your gut health, right? Because you yeah. talked about uh, all these natural doctors are saying, hey, your adrenals are shot. No, no, duh. I have Graves disease, right? I've, I've known that. Hey, <laughs> gut shot. All right. I probably knew that already, but what were they finding about your gut? And what did you know at the time about the connection between the gut brain access and how your gut can influence your mental health? Because you said you started developing anxiety, psychological symptoms. And one of the things Rich and I have learned personally from addressing our gut health is it's had a significantly positive impact on our emotional and our mental health. So what is your, you know, did you know at that point? And what do you know now about the connection between the gut brain access? Yeah. So at this point, I had already read probably like 30 books on just holistic healing, your gut, your thyroid, your liver. And I was kind of an expert on all things holistic health at this point. I was kind of like my own doctor in a lot of ways. I would tell people what I needed because with all of, you know, the past doctors, I really trusted no one with my health at this point, but myself. And it took me a while to be able to trust someone with it. But I knew that, you know, I was on antibiotics for two months my gut was not going to survive that. And it didn't survive all my childhood antibiotics either. And I I knew that I always had severe gut issues. So I knew I had H. pylori. I knew I had SIBO and all of these other um, gut infections that did come back positive on some stool tests that I took at the time. And so it was kind of just going in to heal that. But at the same time, in the back of my head, I knew my living environment wasn't the best. So I was like, how am I going to heal from this when I'm being exposed to something? I kind of had started to get information on mold illness, reading it. I didn't want to believe it because my apartment would never look like it had hidden molds in it. But um, it was kind of just like a a little bit of chaos from there. Because I'm like, I want to heal this, but how am I going to heal that if I have toxin exposure and I still have chronic Lyme? But I did start a gut healing journey from the very beginning that I'd say probably took me two years to fully complete. Right. So the big picture here is you're externally being poisoned by mold where you're living. Yes. You're, you're internally being poisoned by a persistent chronic bacterial infection of Lyme disease from a tick bite. Now mm-hmm. you're also dealing with this genetic expression that's causing you to have this autoimmunity where your body is essentially attacking itself. So how are you going to hit the small angles you're thinking, right? But my 100%. final thought on the gut health, I do want to get to the mold, but we're talking about the whole perfect storm here, right? Everybody's got a perfect storm that makes them sick. But yeah. with the gut health, and I find so fascinating, and obviously you're very well, you know, well informed in this area. One of the things, and as you can tell, I'm reading Dr. Rolls' new book, The Cellular Wellness Solution. And one of the things he talks about is from antibiotic use throughout our life, and just in general, our gut microbiome gets altered. And I didn't really understand what that meant. And maybe you can give us some more detail or just see if you agree with these thoughts. When your gut microbiome gets altered, the good flora or the good microbes in your gut disappear or are lower concentrations. And when that happens, the, pat, the microbes or the bad stuff in your gut 
now are more easily leaked into your bloodstream and can get systemically into your tissues and into your brain, causing further illness that would have been contained in your gut by your microbiome, right? So not yeah. only not only Lyme disease is making you sick, but you're treating it with doxycycline for two months, which is allowing other opportunistic microbes in your gut to leak into your bloodstream, into your tissues and into your brain, causing other infections that are now complementing Lyme, right? So like, did you realize that at the time and talk to us if you agree or disagree that these are contributing factors? Because again, it's this whole perfect storm. And it's, you know, in the words of Jim Miller, it's never just Lyme disease, right? Yes, no, a hundred percent. And I'm sure you heard of leaky gut where your, yeah. you know, your mucosal barrier just can't function anymore. And I believe that anyone that's on antibiotics has a form of leaky gut. You know, there are studies that 90% of the world has some form of leaky gut where, you know, your villi just, they, they can't protect you anymore and things leak into your bloodstream toxins and bad food and other things like that. So I knew this was happening at the time, but I was like, okay, how do I fix this? Like, wh where do I go from here? My gut is so important. Important. It comes out in your skin. You know, I have eczema, I have acne. I know that's, you know, my gut telling me I need help from the beginning. So from there, it was kind of like, how do I start treating this? So I, I keep saying we're going to get to the mold, but I keep having follow-up questions. You're giving us such great information here. So yeah. talk to us about the role that you think your gut health and your immune system, right? Because they kind of go hand in hand. Yes. Your gut is responsible for 70% of your immune system because there's, yep. a, there's a major connection there from, from a microbial protection standpoint, right? Because the microbes in your gut protect you from bad things. Mm -hmm. Now, now your gut health is being destroyed. You already have this predisposition to autoimmunity, which is compounding the problem. And now you're developing, you said earlier, rashes, skin sensitivity, and skin problems. And those are classic signs of a compromised immune system as well, right? So I feel like your gut and your immune system were all contributing now to add in these new symptoms that were skin issues, rashes, sensitivities, food allergies, et cetera. I mean, do, is that the connection that you saw happening at the time? A hundred percent. Yeah. I, I knew something was wrong at this point. I cut gluten and dairy right when I, um, thought I had Lyme disease, I, I automatically caught out gluten and dairy because I read, you need to do this. I went on a paleo diet. So I was like, oh, this is going to fix it. And when it wasn't fixing it right away, I knew it was something bigger, which is then when I went into, you know, the leaky gut and my immune system and how, like, like you said, your gut is an immune system. It's its own immune system that controls your body. And if that's messed up, your other immune system is going to be harmed as well. So while you were tr seeing these natural doctors and you realized your gut was damaged, were you doing anything naturally speaking to address the leaky gut and your gut health while also realizing I have Lyme, I have autoimmunity and I have mold, all of which are making Lyme worse and allowing it to really replicate, right? And become more active in my system. Were you addressing the leaky gut in any way? Or were you trying to get a, a foothold on what do I do next? Yes. So I, I was on a protocol for, um, H. pylori and leaky gut. Um, I was trying to do all the gut strengthening things, you know, bone broth, sauerkraut, things just to feed my gut the right bacteria, make sure I'm taking probiotics that are helping my gut, not harming it. So I kind of went on, I'd say a six month journey of healing my gut. And I became very, very, very into gut health, which is kind of like on my Instagram, a lot of all my recipes are good for your gut as well. There's nothing that would not feed your gut happiness from those. Now, specifically with this gut protocol, do you recall what was in there from a natural standpoint? Because some of the things I take, like I love berberine for gut health. And there's a lot of other supplements that will coat your GI tract to allow 
or not allow these bad things to leak into your, your bloodstream, your tissues, and your brain. So do you know any specific herbs that were in these protocols you were taking to strengthen your gut health? Yeah. So I was on like candybactin, AR and BR, a probiotic, digestive enzymes. I was also trying to be treated for cat's claw and Lyme in some ways at the same time, or not cat's claw, EBV and Lyme with cat's claw and all of, yeah, all of those other supplements at the same time. So it was a lot of things like that. And then just my eating. So one of the things that we've recently learned also is the connection between microbes and cancer. And you yeah. specifically mentioned H. pylori, which I believe is just a bacteria in your gut that mm-hmm. causes you to be sick. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. It's an, it's a gut infection, pretty a much. gut infection. And there are a lot of recent studies that have been out since um, uh, the last year or two that are directly connecting H. pylori as being a root cause of stomach cancer, meaning they're getting inside your cells, they're causing your cells to replicate at an uncontrollable rate, and it's yeah. causing stomach cancer. So is that something you were aware of? And if not, can you give us a little you know, of, of your thoughts about the connection between microbes and cancer? Because there's so much literature coming out now that it's blowing us away about a connection between even Lyme and cancer, H. pylori and cancer, EBV and cancer, et cetera. Yeah. Oh my gosh. EBV and cancer. Yeah. No, I believe from just all of my studies and everything I've learned that if your gut is not in this ideal state, it puts you at risk for everything, cancers, other diseases, all of these things, because, you know, what I believe is your gut is so much of your immune system. And when you're letting these toxins leak into your system, how can our body function correctly? If you know, all of these outside toxins that we're supposed to just, you know, dispose of aren't getting disposed of. It's just like a perfect storm for other illnesses, especially cancers. And I love how you brought up EBV because that's a huge thing I've studied that is linked to cancer and other illnesses as well. Yeah. I mean, there's so many microbes and I think we're just barely scratching the surface about what can cause cancer. One of the ones I find most interesting is toxoplasmosis can cause lymphoma and toxoplasmosis. Anybody who eats rare meat, or anybody who has ever been scratched by a cat, right? You can get it from yeah. a cat and you can get it from rare meat and you can harbor that your entire life. Again, intracellularly, when you get older and you become compromised, that can come out and cause lymphoma. And there's yeah. been now documented studies of this, you know, seemingly harmless pathogen when you're healthy, causing cancer and death at a later stage in life because now you're immunocompromised, right? So there's a lot of links here that I think we're going to start to get into that are related to, you know, chronic illness and chronic Lyme disease that are generally things that coexist with Lyme in general, right? So um, it's it's a whole new world of study. And I think over the next, you know, couple of years, we're going to learn a lot more about all these interconnected cancers, microbes, etc. So I, as I promised, I now like to talk about the mold. I know we, uh, we <laughs> totally digressed there, but that was very, very, valuable discussion that I know is going to be very helpful to our listeners to have some things start researching, looking up and identifying these potential connections. But the good news is I don't want to, I don't want to scare anybody, Andy. And if you can just, you know, give me your thoughts on this, just because you have H. pylori doesn't mean you're going to get stomach cancer. Just because you have H. pylori doesn't mean you're going to get cancer. And I, and I think Andy, we're at a better position. This is my argument to people who say, if I have Lyme disease, I'm going to get cancer. I'm going to die. And I'm like, no, I think we're at a better position because the fact that we know what's going on, we can take steps to improve our gut health, to improve the micro- microbial load of the Lyme bacteria, and as a result, be in a better position to avoid cancer and future harm than somebody who has these microbes and doesn't even know it, right? So that's kind of where I stand in this, this, in this argument. Yes, no, I completely agree. And to anyone listening, just because you have these things does not mean you are going to get cancer. Think of it as a blessing in disguise that you know what's going on and, and, and figure out, you know, how to overcome these obstacles early on. 
right? And just, just because you have one of these microbes that is connected to cancer yeah. doesn't mean you can't address that microbe and not get cancer. I think the more Absolutely. we know, the better we can use the term preventative medicine, which we don't talk about enough in this, this world, I feel. So mm-hmm. now again, as I promised, let's talk about mold, right? Because yeah. mold, I love mold. I love talking about mold. I think you're the first person <laughs> who ever told us, Andy, that you oh love my God. mold. So. I'm like a mold crazy person. My whole family is just like, always like, oh, here she goes again on the mold. If I walk in somewhere, I'm like, what is that? I know exactly what type that is. <laughs> We need you to come to New York and do that for Rich and I walk through and tell us there's mold there. There's mold there. You got to do oh, this. You got to do that. You got to come. I can uh... sniff it out. I'm like a dog at this point. <laughs> I swear. I want to train my dog to be able to smell out mold. That's my goal. <laughs> uh, so let's, all right, let's keep that even further now. I'm excited about this for mold. How did you realize that mold is even a problem in your home? Was it your doctor? Was it your set? Was it your own research? What brought mold to mind? To, and then how did you realize that mold was in your home and impacting your health? Yeah. So it was never a thought at first because in Illinois, like I had none of these symptoms. So when I went to Minnesota and I started to get all of these new, especially psychological, because we all know mold can cause a lot of psychological issues. These symptoms, I started doing my own research and I was like, the only thing that's changed is my living environment. Kind of like, you know, the seasons outside can't be doing this because it's very similar to Illinois. It gets way colder there, but other than that, it's, it's similar. So I started doing my own research, but I was also scared at the same time to believe this was actually happening to me. So I started working with this one holistic doctor who I owe my whole life to seriously, the best person ever. And he was like, I think it's mold. And I'm like, you just validated everything that I've thought. So we tested my body for mycotoxins and What I believe is that over someone's life, when they're exposed to mold, you know, at schools, especially that's one of the worst places for mold. Um, It kind of just builds up in your body and builds up and builds up. And then you get this other trigger and it all comes out. And so I got tested for mycotoxin exposure. I had extremely high levels of water damage mold in my body matched with my apartment I was living in at the same time. So it was kind of like, Here's another answer to why this just got so much worse, you know? Andy, a few follow-up questions that I want to drill a little bit deeper yeah. in. So you got, te- you said you got tested for mold and you tested positive. So yeah. if you can, if you can tell us what kind of testing is that? Is it a blood test? You recall what it is? Because many people listening are going to want to say, I want to get tested for mold as well. But many doctors you go to, your primary care doctor to test me for mold toxicity. They're probably going to do like a heavy metal test in urine or whatever, right? Oh, What's yeah. a really good test for mold? What do you, what, what did you get done? And what do you recommend for people listening to this podcast? So I did a mycotoxin test. So while mold doesn't make everyone sick, it's, you know, the bacteria and the fungi that it lets off mycotoxins that make you sick. So I got tested, I believe it was mycometrics. I'm pulling it up right now. It was that, I believe it was a urine test. Um, I'm not sure if there is, you know, um, a blood test for mold, but I think it was a micrometrics test. I tested my body with it. And then I also have tested all of my living environments with an ERMI test, E-R-M-I, to see how much mold exposure is in the place I'm going to be living. I take that very seriously. And so um, that's kind of how you test your house and then you can test your body as well for it's, um, I believe it's like 30 different types of mycotoxins and it tells you the level that's in your body. And mine were just through the roof, which made us think 
this was exposure throughout my entire life. You know, you walk into a new place, college, Lord only knows what I was exposed to in those college dorms. So, yeah. So you test your urine for about 30 different mycotoxins or species of mold. You then use an ERMI test to test your home. And then you can correlate what's positive in your blood, in your body to what's positive in your home. And in your case, it was a direct match is what I'm hearing. Yeah. I had some, um, positive results that weren't in my apartment that I was living in. So that's why we thought this is just previous exposure from college and other things like that. Well, let's talk about that because there, whatever wasn't a match in your current living environment to what was on the, on the, the test you did in your urine test or what's in your body, the healthy people, quote unquote, can process out mold exposure through their yes. liver and part of, you know, what we call a detox process. So why do you think when you were healthier young and younger, your body didn't just detox out these mycotoxins that you were exposed to possibly at college or other places. And, and I have to wonder again, do you think that your autoimmune predisposition compromised your body's ability to properly respond and detox out these mycotoxins that you were exposed to at an earlier age? Yes. I, I never feel like I was fully able to, uh, process these out of my body. I don't think I was ever exposed before this this situation to a living environment that had this mold to where it would cause these symptoms to just go crazy within my body. So I always had bad liver dysfunction just from my jaundice growing up. My liver never functioned correctly. It took me a long time to sweat, you know, um, had trouble going to the bathroom a lot. You could just tell right off the bat, this girl can't detox well. And, um, so I believe when I started living in an environment, it really came out my body. My body's like, we can't fake this anymore. We can't, you know, get you through the day. We have to like fight this at this point. And so that's when I went into an entire detox protocol for Lyme and detoxing my body. But again, I feel like you were at a triple disadvantage here or, or quadruple, (laughs) even, even bigger, right? Your immune system tags the toxins, right? So your immune system tags the toxins it brings them out through your, your blood, you know, your bloodstream into your liver and your liver then processes them out, yep. brings them into your dry tract where you then get rid of them. You yep. had an autoimmune problem, which is preventing your immune system properly tagging bacteria, viruses, toxins, et cetera, right? Like mold. Okay. Then you had an issue where once, if, if, and when they made it to your liver, your liver was shot because you had a liver problem that was separate from Lyme, yes. which wasn't allowing you to properly detox the mold and also the die off of Lyme and co-infection. So again, that amplified your problem, right? So we're just right. kind of exemplifying here, the overlapping conditions and how they can make you so much sicker, depending on what's going on at the, at the human level, at the bio-individual level in Andy's body, right? Yeah. So you needed support to be able to properly remove these mycotoxins once they hit your liver. And you also needed support to help kill off the pathogens so they can be become these endotoxins or dead bacteria, viruses, et cetera, and then be able to flush them out. So mm-hmm. when you mentioned you went on this detox protocol, what was that protocol that you, you were on to support your liver and aid in detoxification as you were killing off Lyme and also trying to address these mycotoxins in your blood? Yeah. So, um, what me and my practitioner at the time kind of spoke about is he was like, I, he believed that mold was the main cause of Lyme disease, or at least it getting bad again and getting re-triggered in people. So he's like, you felt a little better because you weren't exposed to these things. And then when you got exposed to mold again, your Lyme disease came back out. He believes that it kind of like hides in you and comes out during these stressful times. 
And so I was on an extreme detox protocol. I had to move home and quit my job. It got that bad. So I had to move home to a safe place to do this. You can't be exposed to mold while detoxing from mold. It's just not going to work. But um, it was a lot of like antifungals, like nystatin and then immune system boosters and tri salts and buffered vitamin Z, vitamin C and all these things to just try to pull this out of my body. A lot of binders to try to bind everything up and then, you know, get them out of my body and a lot, a lot of sweating. I invested in infrared sauna, which was a total game changer for my entire well-being. Um, unfortunately, it took me a while to sweat in, the, in, in it at first, but I feel like that's really what gave me that boost to be able to start detoxing again in my body. So it's, it's circulating your blood. It's allowing you yes. to detox out of your largest detox organ, your skin. And as yes. your blood circulates, it's allowing your blood to flush out all these toxins and allow things to run more smoothly and clean out know, really essentially oiling up the engine, right? Yeah. So what, what I'm hearing here, again, in the story of hope is, you know, jumping ahead a little bit, you're 90% recovered from where you were when you're at your worst. And yet you had literally every single card stacked against you, Andy, but you never yes. gave up. You maintained hope. And look, you got through it, right? So anybody listening, yeah. I don't want, they they can get through it as well. That's that's the, the most beautiful part about the story so far. Absolutely. So you go home, you start addressing, you're using binders, you're using all kinds of your prescriptions, you're doing everything you can to build your immune system. What are you doing in parallel to treat the Lyme? You mentioned you're using cat's claw a little bit as an antimicrobial because everything we've talked about so far is, you know, how did you, how did you repair your immune system? How did you repair your gut health? How did you address the mold? But at its core, Lyme is still a bacterial infection and it's something that we have to work on decreasing the microbial load. And, and I agree with your doctor that once we're at the stage you and I are, the infection will never be fully out of our bodies. And most yes. leading experts agree, but our immune systems can manage them. Just like those other intracellular microbes we described, whether it's EBV or whether it's the chlamydia pneumonia or whether it's the chickenpox virus, we can keep them at bay with our immune system once we become healthy enough, right? But you had to do something to decrease the microbial burden of Lyme and co-infections what was that part of your protocol? Was it just cat's claw? Or was there more there that you did as well to address that piece? There was because there was so I had, you know, a faulty liver from the beginning and I was on all of these new medications and we were worried, how am I actually going to be able to handle these and process them through my liver? We just worked on boosting my immune system on the side. I never went on a full Lyme disease protocol. I'm hoping to do that in the next year or so we're speaking about it. While I do feel almost, you know, hundred percent better at this point in my life, I obviously do still have setbacks of Lyme disease and it, it still can come out, you know, when you're chronically ill, it never really goes away. So, um, we just focused on the mold illness from there and boosting my immune system. And it got me to the point where I, I did begin to feel better and felt like that was just a, a huge trigger for me. And it was a huge point in my life where I was like, okay, this is an answer. Like, this is something that I can't be exposed to anymore. And, and I know this makes me sick. It was almost like I was excited when I learned about it. I'm like, I can avoid this and I'll never feel like this again. Andy, let's talk about my favorite part of, of the story. And it's, I guess you shouldn't say my favorite. One of my favorite parts of the story is the way you started to use diet and food to aid in healing as well. I mean, I told you earlier that I absolutely love your social media. I literally, while we're, we've been interviewing, <laughs> I have texted my cousin and several friends 
oh. many of your recipes on your Instagram because I'm like, we need to make this. We need to try this. Look at this. This looks amazing. Thank so, you so much. I mean, it's just, if anybody's looking for lime friendly or just healthy recipes, and even you have, you have desserts, you have all kinds of different things on there, right? That are just really, really creative ideas to make really fun, easy to make things that are lime friendly, lime friendly foods. So when did you realize how important diet was? And how did you start to implement that in your life to, to aid your body in healing rather than having these inflammatory foods, like you mentioned earlier, like sugar and dairy that are going to make inflammation worse and make it harder for you to recover from any illness? Yeah. So from the very start of this, I really understood the importance of diet um, through my own research, just my own knowledge on diet. And then I worked with a dietitian for about a month and she really introduced me to you know, just absolutely no inflammatory foods for a while. Cook all of your own foods at home. See how you feel. Obviously, you know, like my Instagram page says, a little more balanced. Life is about balance and you want to enjoy your life at the same time. But as much as you can, try to avoid these inflammatory triggers. So once I started doing that, I noticed I started to feel a little bit better. And then I got really into blood sugar balancing with my diet because, um, with the mold illness, I did tend to gain weight that I couldn't get rid of. And it come to find out I had insulin resistance because of all this craziness and, um, high estrogen, low progesterone, just all the stuff that you get when your body's just not functioning correctly. And so when I started to tie into blood sugar balancing and I started to wear a continuous glucose monitor and really pay attention to what I'm putting in my body. I felt like I could focus again throughout the days. I wouldn't get sleepy after I ate meals, all of the things that just led me to have a better quality of life. And that was a huge reason why I started my food Instagram, because I noticed how much better I felt throughout the day. And I'm like, if I could help one person feel better and I've helped many, thankfully that have, you know, shared the same message with me that I've changed the way they eat. I could just help one person. Like, I feel like I've accomplished something like that's my goal in life to just help as many people as possible. Know that there's a light at the end of the tunnel with all of these things, with your food, your illnesses, and that there's people out there that are willing to help you. So your Instagram is a little more balanced. One yes. word, no abbreviations or anything. It's a little more balanced. And again, I think everybody should go check it out for some great ideas. But I also love that that label because your health has been all about balance, right? Mm-hmm. It's It's been so many things going on. Again, the perfect storm, every card stacked against you. But as you started to balance out your gut, your immune system, your mold exposure, your Lyme, a little bit of cat's claw, you're starting to balance everything out. You started to regain health. So it's not about just killing just Lyme. It's not about just addressing just the mold. It's not about addressing just the diet. It's balance in your life, both your lifestyle from the standpoint of stress right? From the standpoint of external toxins like mold, from the stress point of internal things like a Lyme infection and autoimmunity. And as you balanced all of these things, you started to regain health, which I think is so beautiful. And that's what you're now showing on your social media. And I'm stepping on Rich's toes here because it's his part of the story. I know, Rich, I apologize in <laughs> advance. My final question before Rich picks up though, because I know you're, you're planning on doing some Lyme treatment, you know, in the near future, just to build yourself a little more resiliency to continue yeah. to improve your health and be a little more resilient. But is there anything else we missed, Andy, from my standpoint, from a treatment standpoint, from anything you've done that's helped you feel better that you want to share with our listeners before Rich jumps in to pick up the the, the latter part of the interview here? Yes, I do want to share one thing that is so important. And especially like we talked about, you know, avoiding cancer, Um, lymphatic treatment, lymphatic drainage, really helping your immune system. Um, 
I started doing lymphatic drainage massages when I was at my worst in mold. And my boyfriend was like, oh my gosh, you look like a new person after you get the lymphatic drainage. Like what happened? And I'm like, see, this is what I'm telling you. It's so important. So um, just some things people can do to implement lymphatic drainage into their diet is just buy a mini trampoline off Amazon, bounce on your trampoline. You know, I do it so many types, so many times a day. There's YouTube videos on lymphatic drainage massages you can do on yourself, red light therapy. There's so many of these extra healing modalities that can make such a big difference in someone's treatment journey that I feel like, especially if you're working with a a Lyme literate doctor, that's just an MD that they they don't touch on that, that can really help. So Andy, uh, you and Matt have done a really beautiful job of, of sort of talking about how your journey of achievement and your journey of transformation were happening at the same time, right? Because as you were working on your health and you were working on overcoming the the challenges that were um, that were developing in your life, you were also finding out more about you and your gifts and your aptitude and how you can now use that to help other folks. Yes. So, you know, we began this conversation by talking about your aptitude and your gifts and the things that you knew you were good at from when you were a little girl and how you continue to develop that and continue to develop that. And now, of course, on this personal development journey that you're on, uh, you ultimately came back to food and came back to the importance of food in a healthy lifestyle. Yeah. So talk to us about how, um, you know, it was actually the food element of, um, of your, um, of your life and your aptitude that you decided to um, develop on your Instagram page and why it wasn't lymphatic drainage or it wasn't any of these other uh, tools that you were using and developing. Why was it food that you came back to? Yeah. Yeah. You know, Rich, um, thinking about that, like you said, from my kid or from when I was a child, I always knew I was meant to do something greater and I didn't know what it was. I always knew I was like, what is this? Like, what do I need to do? And when I got sick, I was like, this is it. This is like what I'm meant to do. I'm meant to help other people get better from illnesses. And this brings me a great feeling inside. And it's my purpose, I believe. And so well, on my Instagram, I do post a lot about lymphatic drainage and healing modalities and other things with Lyme disease. I tend to lean a lot towards the food as well as my main posts, because from, you know, the clients I've worked with and people I've talked to, that's what people are struggling with the most. They don't know how to eat. They don't know how to eat to balance their blood sugar. They don't know how to eat to be anti-inflammatory. We grew up in the society of the standard American diet. And we're taught that, you know, that's the norm. If you want to eat healthy, here's some rice cakes made with sunflower oil. There you go. <laughs> we, we're not taught how these inflammatory things in our food really connect to our body. And I just wanted to be that person to let people, to educate people and help them understand how, you know, there's a lot of hidden things in food that we don't, we're not educated on and we don't know about. And if I could educate people on those things, we could all live longer, avoid disease, you know, live healthier lives and happier lives. That's why I kind of mainly do food on my Instagram. But Andy, isn't it more than that? Isn't it really your superpower is relating to diet and food yeah. and gut health? That's really your superpower. And you knew that they, the, these were your superpowers because you look back to your childhood and it's really always where you are. Yeah. And, and when you didn't 
access your superpowers where you weren't using your superpowers as superpowers, you yeah. were sick. And you understood how uh, your lack of using a diet appropriately or maybe being too extreme with your diet played a strong foundation in you ultimately getting sick. And then it was your reconnection with your superpowers and using your superpowers to ultimately get you out of the illness. And that's why you're really posting about food more than anything else, because they're your superpowers. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, as a young woman, I feel like in the world, you know, the eating disorder culture and not eating and all these things are so normalized and people don't understand the long-term impact that can have on your health. Our body needs food. We're meant to eat. We're, we're not meant to not eat. Our hormones need it. We need to function normally for like optimal long-term health. So that is my superpower. And I love talking about it, about it. And I love being able to have this platform to educate people and, you know, go along their journey with them. And, you know, they send me their recipes. I made this today. I did this today. And it just brightens my day up every single day, seeing how I've impacted at least one person. And while I did have to go through a lot in order to realize these challenges and realize how to overcome them. I would not change it for the world. I'm so happy what happened to me happened to me. I look at it as a blessing because of, you know, what I'm now able to do with it. So let's talk about another one of the superpowers that we were blessed to observe about you. And that is the traditional educational system simply didn't work for you. Yeah. It was a box that yeah. strangled you rather than allowed you to develop your superpowers, right? Yes, yes. And because you were someone who did not excel in the traditional educational system, you're actually using a different set of superpowers to educate people on these really important issues, right? Mm -hmm. You're using music, you're using imagery. And I and I used the term infotainer early on, and that I couldn't pay someone a higher compliment, quite frankly, where you're educating people in a way that they can retain, a way that they can relate, yes. and a way that doesn't box them in. So talk about how that educational box that you found strangled you also played a role in you discovering another set of superpowers that you're using to educate people on these really important health issues. Yes, yes, yeah. You know, in school and in college, you get the good grade, great. What happens from there? You know, what am I really learning? I take these tests, you grade on them. I wouldn't remember what it was about after. So I really found just people learn in ways where they, they can relate to you. And that's the most important thing in life. And while I have had professors and teachers who make things relatable, majority of them don't. And that's the biggest thing on my food Instagram is I don't shy away from telling my story and the things that can happen to me to make it seem like I have, you know, the perfect health now or the perfect life. Like I'm very honest on it and everyone learns in different ways. And I just try to teach people by relation because that's how I would relate or visuals. I love how we can do the pictures and the reels and I can walk someone through a recipe or show them exactly how to, you know, bounce for lymphatic drainage or massage yourself for lymphatic drainage. I think it's just so important to teach people in those ways, especially, you know, the generations coming up, social media is so powerful. It's, it's all they've ever known. So just really getting acclimated to that. 
So I am smirking a little bit because when you're talking about generations coming up, I'm thinking <laughs> you're the generation coming up. Because hey, <laughs> but, I, I am, but I feel like it's getting worse out here. <laughs> so the, the, the other thing that I really like about your social media is it's multi-sensory, right? You, yeah. you don't just use images uh, and you don't use just story, although you use many stories and you have a larger story. And of course, you're finally... Uh, telling your story in a long form format here on this podcast. Yeah. But you also use music and the importance of music and the emotional um, triggers with music. So I, I think it's a combination of a number of different important pieces that make it memorable and easy to understand and easy to remember. And of course, easy to learn, which is something that you, you, um, you didn't find a, a part of your experience when you were in the educational, the traditional educational box. Yes. So now let's talk about what a superhero is, because in my view, every person on earth has superpowers, right? God has created us with this particular set of superpowers. We don't always know what they are. And, it, and, and, and a Lyme disease journey, in many cases, reveals our powers to us in a way that they didn't before. But then we have a choice. We have a choice to use our superpowers consistently for other people to benefit other people who you'll never meet, because that's what a superhero does. Or we can use our powers in other ways. And, and talk to us about why you decided to use your superpowers, not for you, but for everyone. And for everyone in a way that they can benefit regardless of whether they know you. And how do you feel about um, helping other people, who are, some of whom are thanking you and some of whom are not, but knowing that you are helping many, many people overcome the challenges that they're facing with their health, and they'll never even be able to have an opportunity to thank you. Yeah, no, it you know, it's the only thing I've ever wanted in life. I've always connected with people so much and especially with other people's stories. And I'm a very outgoing, outspoken person. So social media is the perfect place for someone like me to share my story and to help others because I don't shy away from those uncomfortable things. And some people, that's just not what they like to do. And that's okay. Everyone likes to do different things. So it really became a huge blessing to be able to help people in all of these different ways and be that person that someone can lean on that can let them know this is normal what you're experiencing like your emotions are valid especially when it comes to Lyme disease there's so much misinformation and so thankful for social media but for the people that aren't on social media they are stuck in that world of still you know this is what's going on. My doctor's telling me it's not real. They, they don't know how to go on social media. So I've been able to connect with them too, just through other people I've met on social media and be that person that can tell them, no, your chronic Lyme disease is real, number one. And let's start cleaning up your diet. Let's start changing your lifestyle. Let's start testing for all these other triggers and figure out what's going on. So now let's uh, sort of round out the... Uh superpowers and superhero uh, that has become uh, a part of your um, your contribution to the Lyme community. And talk about what you do if your boyfriend, who has been a really important part of your journey and really uh, important uh, support system for you, what if he came in after this podcast and he had tick biting him on his arm? What would you recommend that he do so he wouldn't have to go through a very challenging chronic Lyme disease journey the way you had? Yeah, yeah, so much. I think he could tell me what he should do after living with me for so long. But you know, the most important thing is send the tick in for testing. You always need to test the tick. You'll know what bacteria is in the tick. And I'm sure you guys have a lot of resources on your page about this. 
The second thing is go get tested right away for Lyme disease from the very start. Reach out to a community. Go to your guys' website and download. You guys said you have the information on what to do if I got bit. Educate yourself from the very start because the most powerful thing when you have an illness or, or threatened to get an illness that isn't normalized in this world is to be your own advocate and educate yourself on it. So don't wait. A lot of people wait for symptoms to start and to come. Honestly, it's just tell doctors, I, I need to get tested. Please test me. Advocate for yourself. So many times people are nervous to tell their doctor what they need because they're our superior in that situation. But your health is the most important at the end of the day. And tell us what dietary recommendations you'd make for folks while they're going on that element of their journey. Yes. So I always um, have said to people with Lyme disease is to cut out gluten and dairy because those are both inflammatory triggers. While you might not have celiac disease or gluten sensitivity, at least try to eliminate a little bit of inflammation from the start or at least wheat and then go on uh, the paleo diet. So that's cutting out all inflammatory triggers, grains, all of those types of things. There's a lot of information on it online, a lot of YouTube videos. You can go to my page, message me, and I'll tell you all about it and help you on your journey. And another thing I found really helpful is to watch what oils you're using. Make sure you're eat, you're using those olive oils and you're not cooking with the olive oil because when olive oil heats up, that can cause inflammation in your body. Make sure you're cooking with the coconut oils and the avocado oils and really paying attention to things like that. There's been a lot of studies about how these oils cause inflammatory triggers in our immune system. Andy, I can't thank you enough for sharing all this. Yeah. Well, first, your beautiful story and all the powerful information you share with the listeners uh, to the Tick Bootcamp podcast. Yes. Thank you guys so much for having me. It was wonderful. And you guys are superheroes doing this. You're changing so many people's lives. So I'm very thankful I could be a part of this and meet you guys. Thank you for listening to our Tick Bootcamp interview with our guest, Andy Sees. To our listeners, we have a call to action. First, if you'd like to learn more about Andy, please visit her on Instagram at a little more balanced. Second, if you've enjoyed this episode of our Tick Bootcamp podcast, please share it with your friends on social media. Third, Tick Bootcamp has created a Tick by Blueprint that has been inspired by the information that has been shared with us by past podcast guests. We urge you to visit our website at tickbootcamp.com slash bite to view the blueprint. Fourth, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify to get your automatic episode updates of our Tick Bootcamp podcast. Please take a minute to leave us an honest review on your podcast platform of choice. And finally, if you'd like to search our podcast library of over 250 episodes for specific keywords, subscribe to our email list, or share feedback with us, please visit our website at tickbootcamp.com. Thank you, as always, for listening.